This is Pastor Mike from Jordan Lutheran Church, and you're about to hear one of our Sunday morning messages. At Jordan, we're passionate about learning from the Bible and pray that this message makes an impact in your life. Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God, our Father and Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So we're going to try to be honest with each other. Some of you have joked about this, but I am curious. How many of you on a Sunday have ever thought, what does a pastor really do? <laughs> I just got to say, a certain young woman raised her hand as she went that way with children. We'll pretend it wasn't someone in my house. <laughs> well, I will admit to you, uh, growing up, I would look at the pastor and I would sit there as a child and I thought, I could do this. And the part that I thought I could do was, I could read some words on a Sunday. A lot of it was printed for me. I figured these were pretty easy cues. I could do this. I could handle having this. How much time does this job really take? I would express this. I was the young boy who would, at home, put on like little church shows after church and like read the entire page without seeing the page of the hymnal and just like recite it. My brother thought this was a fun game. Like, how deep could I go uh, into the hymnal before I'd, like, stumble? I was like, I can do this. But there's always more to it than we know. And the it isn't just what does your pastor do. It's the any job that you've never been a part of. There's always more to it. There's always more. Uh, I see just a smiling face and another job comes to my mind is people who fly us in lots of places. I've seen lots of pilots and I wonder, wow, they only have to be here the amount of time I'm on the plane, right? No, they do exponentially more than what you see. Many times I've been on a plane, I'm convinced they do only two things, right? They shake your hand if you want when you get in and they shake your hand when you get out. And then you grow up and realize, no, 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 they do a lot. They do so much more than we could ever imagine. Well, here we are back in James. We've been talking about counting it all joy. <laughs> and the reason I'm mentioning what do you think of pastors, what do you think of other professions, what do you think of so many others, we've had a week where there's lots of professions you didn't always lean on that you're leaning on. So how do we count it joy in the midst of that when sometimes we said, I could do that job. So if you have your Bible, open it up. We're going to go James 3, verse 1. James chapter 3, verse 1 and 2. So when we talk about pastors, you know, what do they actually do? Specifically, James talks here to the church in persecution, the church that's been spread out, the church pushed from Jerusalem, their teaching core, and he begins with this in chapter 3. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. He starts out and says, you might think that you've got all this figured. You might think you could be a better teacher. I assure you at the age of like 9, 10, 11, when I was in like the zenith of my quote, the hymnal era of just playing that game, I had no idea what pastors really did. I knew about the service. I understood that. That that part I had figured out. But James warns, not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. James writes and says, you know, we've all got places that'll trip us up. 
And if you've never, ever, ever been tripped up, then you are a very impressive person. You've got it all under control. You've got all of it. You are perfect. Now, there are few of you who would suggest that you are perfect. There may be a couple of you who would make that assertion that you are perfect. But I doubt that you would suggest that you are perfect in God's eyes all by yourself. You know yourself too well. You see, we need to remember who we are first and foremost. As we go into the text this morning to call it joy in the midst of a weekend that's been, probably for many of you, less than joyful. You may count it joyful the storm has passed, but boy, it hasn't passed for others. Uh, It it hasn't disappeared. The truth is it's still raining here because it's still over us. We're just facing a different part of it. When I was in school, I used to think that teaching was another task that was very, very easy. Because after all, they got to work at 9.25 in the morning, and they left at 3.25. That's when I arrived, and that's when I left. I thought that's what they did. And then someone taught me, you do know that they have to design everything that they do with you during the entire time that you were there. And they have to plan it and lay it out, and things don't magically appear to you on your first grade desk. No one just lays that out. But boy, when I first thought it, I thought, man, all right, pastor, that's the first job. This one's really good. Uh, This one seems pretty straightforward. It's all out of one book. We just go with that. Teacher was also high on my list. I thought, all right, uh, I could do this. Now I look at the teaching profession and realize they are held accountable in thousands of systems that didn't exist even 10 years ago. Every single parent can address a teacher at any given moment via electronic device at any hour in any moment. That's crazy. I just... All I wanted to do was what? Teach. Like my passion was I just wanted to watch a kid get something and they look back at me and go, I get that. And I wrote this. I made this. I calculated this. Like that, that I get. But instead they're like, I wrote 25,000 emails last night. That was great. I didn't make my lesson plan, but I did respond to 25,000 emails. There's reasons why we have those checks and balances. I share with you, we have to be cautious what it is that we're saying because our our tongues, we have a way of saying things really fast, don't we? This storm is filled with lots of people who will make judgment decisions about what happened and what should have happened. And then the person who does something that's silly and you'll say, I'd have done that completely differently. I mean, who does that? He should have known not to park there. They left their car there? How many of you thought that the first time you saw like a flooded car, literally the first night, parked there somewhere close to a body of water? Anyone willing to admit it? My hand's up for a reason. Yeah. I, I'm like, really? Right by the, the bank of the, like, the bank. That's, that was your move. Like, hurricane prep for five days, and your move was new car, bank of water. Because some of what happened has never happened before. Places that didn't get inundated were hit. Places that were hit didn't get hit. Because the water came differently. But our tongue does some real quick stuff. There's stuff you'll say when you're yelling at a television that you won't tell other people, right? So as you're watching some of this, you probably said some things to the TV that you have not made public. And you're not making public here. Because the tongue is a very, very interesting piece of equipment that the Lord gives to us. Look at the bottom. It says, 
If you are able to be perfect, you are also able to bridle your whole body. James is going to use two things here in the text. He's going to talk about a bit in a horse's mouth, and the other he's going to talk about is the rudder uh, on a ship. Small things and how they can move in massive ways. How many of you have ever heard of the battleship Bismarck? Okay, a couple of you. For those of you who do not, the Bismarck is one of the largest battleships that the German Navy made. And when it comes out, it is vicious. The entire Allied force decides we have to focus. If we do not wipe this out, it will destroy us in its entirety. Uh, And they focus on this. It has a sister ship as well. But when it comes out, uh, it only goes out on one offensive. One offensive. It lasts less than two weeks. Uh, And one of the things that the Bismarck faces is, do you know what ends up being its demise? It gets hit in the rudder. And then it can't steer. You see, the rudder is so essential to what happens. Ladies and gentlemen, you can't turn the Titanic around if it's got no rudder. So what about our tongues? What is it that we have said and done this past week? We're not talking about Pentecost this morning, but we got tongues of fire. Somebody looked at the bulletin, oh, tongues of fire, Pentecost, Pentecost in September. James, so also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. A tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. James is warning these people, you've been kicked out of Jerusalem, you are being persecuted. Think of all the things they'd probably say about who? Jerusalem. Think of all the things they might say of people who used to teach them years before. Think of all the things they'd say about those who are persecuting them. And James writes and goes, be cautious what you're saying. This little thing that spouts out words can do great harm very quickly that you cannot pull back. I thought, oh, pastor's job so easy. Oh, teacher's so easy. Boat captain, all they do is just wave at us until there's a crisis, right? Until their training really comes in to play. All those first responders who you'd sit there and say, wow, you know, what are they normally doing? Prepping, planning, and being ready so in this hour, they can do what they need to do and they won't even think about it. That they will be there to care for you. People who are going out in boats and others in murky waters and places that I don't want to go, who are doing it willingly for care of others. See, the tongues we're talking about, though, can be even more. I want you to think of a couple other places that your tongue may actually just slice you a little bit. Think about the word of a father. The word of a father spoken to a child telling him they're overweight. What about the words of a spouse saying, I no longer love you? The word of a teacher telling a student, you'll never amount to anything. The word of an adulterer saying to you, I love you, and selling you a lie. The word of a company that goes against its most upstanding employee. The one that no one would ever cross, but the company just turns on them so quickly. The word of a neighbor who says to you, well, of course that happened to your house. You didn't prepare right for the storm. Words can cut. But tongues don't use bullets and blades as their implement. They just use words. You all remember the story, right? Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. How many of you remember the first time you were ever hit by a stone? 
How many of you remember the first time someone cursed at you in a way that you will never forget? I guarantee you it's more of you. I can remember the first time my dad yelled at me in a way that I will never forget. Now, the reason was I was going down a rock face mountain in Arizona, and if I didn't come back, I probably would have died. So just there's a reason why my dad raised to a new tone I'd not heard. It was, son, choose life. I thought I was choosing adventure. But I share with you, words are spoken and you can't bring them back. They're like bullets that go out, but they look so different. Look at James. He goes, seven and eight. He goes for every kind of beast and bird of reptile and sea creature can be tamed. So he talked about the tongue. Can't, so every other animal can be tamed. How many of you have had uh, a dog and you've tried to tame the dog? Anyone? To, to success? A little? Okay, yeah, a couple up and down. Uh, we had a dog that was not able to be uh, tamed, even though James says that this could be easier. We had a dog that actually broke muzzles for professional trainers. Very gifted dog at doing what the dog wanted. Uh, maybe more cat than dog. Uh, for every kind of beast and bird of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. Interesting that James uses that language, is it not? No human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. Yet the tongue's the exact same thing that we started singing the opening hymn, praise to the Lord the Almighty. There, I'm using that, and I'm praising God. But I can't tame my tongue. Animals are easier to tame. Verse 9 and 10, as he continues to develop, he says, With it we bless our Lord, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be. To count it joy, to be in the spirit of James chapter 1, verse 2, that in the midst of troubles, we have to be cautious how we speak. And not cautious just for the matter of, well, you know, I, I want to make sure that I don't offend someone. James isn't saying you can't offend someone. James is just saying you have to make sure that what you're saying is actually what? True. That it's okay, that it's right, that it's proper, that you're not just throwing out your own piece. Does Jesus ever offend people? Yes. Brothers and sisters in Christ, he does this pretty often. Does Jesus ever change the rules? No. He just says what needs to be said. To tame the tongue means to understand that who are you speaking? Are you speaking Christ or are you speaking yourself? That's where the problem comes in. Am I speaking what God has given me to speak or am I speaking what I believe is right because you need to do what I'm telling you that you need to do because this is my take on the way things are in my world. The moment I usurp God, I insert something else on top of the text that needs not to be there. So what's this mean? What does it mean to be a follower of Christ? What does it mean? Well, I want you to open up. Go to Mark 9. We're going to jump to, to the gospel text. And I want to use from James as he's talking about what it means to be concerned about use of your tongue, this tongue of fire, which again isn't Pentecost. This is the fire lighting fires to people. This is the person at church who says something just completely harsh to someone. I mean, imagine someone comes in, they, they come into church for the first time, they walk in, they say, it's good to be here. You go, you better be here because you're a sinner. You're going to burn in hell. Get inside. This message brought to you by Jordan Lutheran Church. Welcome. I mean, I joke about these things, but you just realize, like, maybe not, maybe not the smoothest entryway. You'd be amazed what I've heard some people say, though. You would be. You'd be blown away where people are like, well, they needed to hear that. Okay. 
We'll differ on exactly the startup. Uh, but we sat there in Mark chapter 9. And so we go to Mark 9, what we get is a picture. We get a picture of this gospel of the disciples. The disciples who are struggling with why is it not going the way we think it should. And when they came to the disciples, picking up from verse 14, they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them, and the scribes arguing with them. And immediately all the crowd, when they saw him, were amazed and ran up to him and greeted him and asked them, what are you arguing about with them? And someone from the crowd answered him, teacher, I brought you my son, and he has a spirit that makes him mute. So this son comes up, and then the question is, well, what are we going to do? How do we heal this person? Because we know the rest of the story. The rest of the story is that the disciples had tried to heal this young man as well. The text continues, verse 18, Whenever it seizes him, it throws him down, and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out, and they were not able. And he answered, O faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. The disciples had no idea how to fix this. They didn't know what to do. They didn't know what they were up against. They were struggling just, wow, we're going to try the last thing we did, and all the little things that they'd been trained weren't getting it there. Any of you ever have your car break down in water, like actually go into high water? Anyone will? I mean, not like today. You don't have to admit it happened this weekend. Anyone ever go into it? Okay, well, then I'll just use my family again. I guess we're filled with it. So my brother decided, if the story that he tells, I don't know if he'll hear this one online or not, so if you want to get me in trouble, tell my brother, listen to the sermon on this day. Um, He's at at, uh, Shippensburg University in Pennsylvania, uh, and all we know as a family is that his Chevy celebrity didn't work anymore. We're told that water was involved. So some decision is made uh, that we're going to go into water. Now, it ends up getting repaired, but for someone who knows how to repair Chevy celebrities, they would have looked at it and said, oh, this got flooded or that. They would have drained it out and others. But my brother and I, I mean, we, could, we could do body putty and basic body work and change oil. But when it came to like flooded engines, that was kind of our, our end. We didn't know quite what to do. Well, the disciples have tried everything they know to fix this person, but it's still not happening. Verse 21 to 23, and Jesus asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. And it has often cast him into fire and into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can, all things are possible for the one who believes. When it comes to understanding God's power, you're dealing with something different than anything you've ever seen. See, the man went to the disciples and he's like, hey, you guys can figure this out. But they didn't know what to do. The struggle of faith, though, is that when the Father is asked if you can, and Jesus says, I can do it, if you believe, the Father immediately says two comforting words, I believe, and then follows them up with, I would suggest, probably the heartbeat of God's church. Help me in my unbelief. If you have to answer to someone, why is it that the storm took out my house and not my neighbor's, but normally gravity would feed water from their yard into mine, but... I got hit and they didn't. I don't know. That's not what I do. I'm not a water engineer. I don't understand it. I don't see why this is. Uh, I believe that God's got it, but I don't understand why God did this because I go to church and they, and they don't. And the moment my house got destroyed, they came over to me and they said, see, where was your God? 
I haven't gone to church at all, and my house is spared, and yours is torn asunder. I don't have the immediate answer for that. Because the answer is actually masked in something so much bigger. The answer is God has in control a larger system than we can see on this very day. The larger system is Christ coming, restoring all things. A narrative that's much larger than a house or a boat or a car or a business or a school. But boy, to tell that to someone who's facing those challenges, it seems awfully trite. Because I don't think we understand how deep the despair is in our life without God. To be a Christian is not to have everything perfectly aligned. To be a Christian is to realize when I'm out of alignment, I know to go to Christ. That's the difference. That when things don't line up, I realize I have to go to the only source that can steady me in the storm. When my car floods, who do I go to? Where do I go? Do I go to? I go to the unchanged God. The God who says, I will be your rock in the midst of the storm. I will be your firm foundation. Lots of things are shifting in these past couple of days. And lots of tongues are going to say lots of things because if you've had something that's damaged, I guarantee you someone will say something that will cut you so hard. Be prepared to not listen to it. Be prepared to just allow that person to do whatever they're doing and to bite with words and to light a fire in you that only the Lord can put out. It's the fire of anger, the fire of rage, the fire of disgust. It could be a fire of envy. So much will happen as a result of this. To be a Christian is to realize God's doing something completely new for us. As we started this morning, we started where? We started with confession and absolution and then read Psalm 116. I want you to hear these words to realize what God is doing as he reclaims us and holds us in the midst of the storm that let God do the speaking. You see, the tongues of fire isn't a problem unless it's our tongue. Our tongues do most of the burning. When God set the tongues on fire, that's Pentecost, and those were good fires. May God reignite in us a fire that comes from the Spirit, that falls upon us, the fire that God will light as He feeds us and sustains us at His table, as God takes us into the Scripture to say, let me give you something strong in the midst of the storm. I love the Lord, wrote the psalmist, because He has heard my voice and my pleas for mercy. Because he inclined his ear to me. Therefore, I will call on him as long as I live. The snares of death encompassed me. The pangs of Sheol laid hold on me. I suffered distress and anguish. Then I called on the name of the Lord. O Lord, I pray, deliver my soul. The Lord delivered you when Christ went to that cross. He set you free from the bondage that's holding you at this very hour. The bondage that says, I'm going to try to figure it out. God figured it out already. May you walk from this place with, as the psalmist began, I love the Lord because of his mercy, and he will deliver my soul. Brothers and sisters, he has done it already. He took the fire that you set and he extinguished it. He extinguished it with his very life. We give him all thanks and honor. Amen. We're glad you've connected with us online and look forward to the opportunity to see you in person. On behalf of everyone at Jordan, We hope you will join us as we gather in worship of our Savior, Jesus Christ, every Sunday morning at 930 at Beaver Creek Cinemas in the peak of good living, Apex, North Carolina.